0: Welcome to Darknet Demystified. My name is Sam Bent. I'm a former Darknet vendor, market admin, content creator, author, hacker, and paralegal. On this show, I'll dive into topics related to the Darknet. Today's episode is about a famous Darknet vendor selling only one product. I'm personally kind of excited and intrigued by this specific vendor. Still, at the same time, I was kind of disappointed by some of the things that I had learned about him, including some of the deceptive practices that he had practiced uh, regarding his product and ultimately his poor OPSEC. His online name was Trip with Science, and in real life, he went by James Verle Barlow. Despite not being active on the Darknet forums... James built an empire around one particular drug, psychedelic mushrooms. This is extremely impressive when you consider that people getting high by eating mushrooms is not something that happens daily. So many drugs like cocaine, heroin, cannabis, pills, for example, typically are things that users will consume on a daily basis. So... When you're looking to become a dark net vendor, setting up your goals of how much you want to sell and what you want to sell should kind of be based on that. People who are going to ingest things like cocaine, heroin, cannabis and you know, sometimes pharmaceuticals are going to be doing that on a pretty regular basis, uh, whereas an individual who's taking mushrooms might only do it once or five times in their life, or never. You never really know. If you're selling something, you want people to consume it regularly. It means more sales for you, which means more money. The more individuals consume, the better it is for you as a drug trafficker. I remember when I was a darknet vendor, seeing Trip with Science sell, and seeing him only sell psychedelics, then specifically his quote-unquote liquid mushrooms. Not only did he restrict his business model specifically to psychedelics, and only mushrooms inside of the psychedelic category, or so he advertised again. But he further defined himself in that specific category. In a recent YouTube video where I talk about making Green Dragon and Grey Dragon, I explain the process of how to go about making these things. Specifically, it's called a tincture. To create a tincture, an individual would get Psychedelic mushrooms, by either growing them or buying them, if they grew them, they would dry them out. After drying them out, you would grind them up into a fine powder. And after grinding them up into a fine powder, you would soak them in alcohol for a few weeks. Then you'd filter out the ground up mushrooms with some cheesecloth. And this is what they call gray dragon. And essentially, you have extracted the chemical that makes you hallucinate into the alcohol Ingesting mushrooms this way allows you to avoid having stomach ache because all you get is the chemical that makes you hallucinate instead of the actual psychedelic mushroom itself, which causes like really bad stomach aches and your body wants to reject it uh, because it's a poisonous mushroom, essentially. It also works faster and has been known to offer more of a quote-unquote clean trip. That said, Trip with Science didn't do this. And he didn't sell mushrooms that had been processed this way. Instead, he sold what's called an analog. So, while he advertised that he sold liquid mushrooms, he didn't. An analog, for those of you who don't know what it is, refers to a substance which chemically is similar to another drug. Like, it might have a similar effect to that original drug, but... It's slightly different, and its molecular structure can change how it interacts with the body. Analogs are often developed to avoid legal restrictions placed on different controlled substances. To put it simply, an analog is a similar version of a drug that has been modified in some way. This is in stark contrast to what he had claimed for almost a decade, which he had said in almost every single one of his profile posts that he had had up where he had said outright quote liquid mushrooms are simply the psychoactive element of psilocybe cubensis mushrooms or psilocybin but extracted in its pure form separated From all the fungal materials, spores, a fungal defense mechanism that Mother Nature evolved to cause nausea in mammals like you so that their spores can survive a mammalian digestive tract. Each 10 milliliter vial contains 9 milligrams of psilocybin, equivalent to 2 grams of dried mushrooms. So one vial contains enough psilocybin for fun, a solid trip with plenty of visuals. If you're a lightweight under 130 pounds, you might only need three-fourths of a vial. Unquote. To me, as a Darknet vendor, to see James operating for all this time with one drug exclusively, that was pretty exciting to me, to see that he could be successful with just one drug. It was disappointing, though, to learn that he had basically lied to his customers um, for almost a decade. To me... Telling them it's one thing and it's really something else is tantamount to poisoning someone. On almost every Darknet market that he was on, this description was on his profile page. There's no real need to lie to begin with, but like, don't tell people it's one thing when it's something else. As far as I know, James holds the crown for being the Darknet's longest living vendor. However, being the world's best darknet vendor is a lot like being the world's best hacker. I'm sure at the end of the day, there's someone out there who's been a darknet vendor for longer or is better at it. And I say this because at the end of the day, the best darknet vendor or the best hacker in the world is one that nobody knows. And we never will because that individual, whether it's a man or a one, they're going to be a ghost and that's what makes them the best. We will never know who they are. James was an Army vet, a career veteran at that. He spent 20 to 25 years in the United States Army. It's different accounts of the amount of time that he actually spent in there. But he's no joke. He's been awarded the Army Commendation Medal, the Army Achievement Medal, the National Defense Service Medal with a Bronze Star, Global War on Terrorism, Army Service Ribbon. Overseas Service Ribbon, Army Reserve Award, Afghanistan Campaign Medal, the award for operations relating to the former Yugoslavia, and Component Overseas Training Ribbon, NATO Medal, and Marksmanship Medal for being a sharpshooter with the rifle. I don't know what a lot of those are, um, but it sounds like a lot of medals. The United States Attorney. As they always do, had estimated that James had made a small fortune selling his liquid mushrooms over more than 140 million in Bitcoin. James is a Las Vegas resident, and you know had about 12 to 15 million dollars in assets: expensive property, luxury cars, jet skis, mountains of crypto, um, in addition to you know a few loaded banks. That had a ton of fiat currency in them, he was the head of the d t o When you hear this kind of terminology, all it means is a drug trafficking organization. So when I say something like he was thought to be the head of the d t o it means he was thought to be the head of the drug trafficking organization. Well, everyone thinks it's great to be the boss and like you know being in a drug trafficking organization be the leader um the federal government would strongly disagree. Like, this is reflected in their sentencing guidelines. Uh, Furthermore, when you're actually in federal prison, you'll often face a stigma, um, sometimes depending on the place you're at, from staff or your case manager because of this label. I always told people in federal prison that I'd rather be a leader than a follower. (laughs) Um, It's... Not just an extra thing at sentencing and something that goes on your record and all that, um, but it, it literally increases the amount of time that you'll actually get and possibly increases the security level that you'll have. So it screws you in a bunch of different ways. Uh, for example, there are a lot of programs that exist not only in the BOP or the federal prison system, they go Bureau of Prisons, but in addition, in some cases, being a leader, manager, like leader slash manager of a DTO can disqualify you from various things under some of the criminal reform laws that exist, like the first step act. And I'm not going to get into all that. Don't worry. Um, but that said, James being the head of the DTO, he was the one that that's going to get the most time, unless you tell on someone. Um, and the DTO, his name was trip with science. So when I refer to DTO, now you understand what I'm talking about. Despite like what many people think, at the end of the day, being a drug trafficker, primarily working on a national scale or an international scale and doing so completely solo is difficult to impossible. And I would say for those who don't think it is, you try running any business on, a, on an international level for a prolonged period of time completely alone. It's extremely difficult to do. For this reason, James, you know, had to have a co-conspirator. Um, in his case, many co-conspirators. Um, I, that was a really big OPSEC thing for me that got me really nervous. So I kept to just one co-conspirator, which you know, obviously didn't work out too well. But um, unlike myself, James had multiple co-conspirators, one of whom was his brother, who is 35 years old. His brother's name is Matt or Matthew. The drug that James actually sold, um, the drug that he actually sold, and bear with me because I'm pronouncing this as ridiculous, is 4acodimetripamine. Oh, I, I totally butchered that. <laughs> I have no doubt that I butchered that pronunciation like totally and completely. So from now on, we're just going to call it 4aco DMT. Um, and I want to point out that from my understanding, 4 ACO DMT is definitely not the same as psilocybin. Psilocybin is a naturally occurring psychedelic compound that's found in certain species of mushrooms, while 4 ACO DMT is a synthetic analog of psilocybin that is sometimes used as a recreational drug. They do call it liquid shrooms, but it's an oxymoron. It's like if you get those. Those really cheap instant potatoes, like the Idaho potatoes, I think they are. Um, I think that's what they're called. When you look on the box, it says on the box, real potatoes, right? But if you look at the end of the word potatoes closely, you'll see a TM sign. Indicating that the real potatoes, quote unquote, is not actually them saying that they are using just real potatoes in their mashed potato flakes, but rather, it's them showing a trademark symbol that they own. It's super deceptive, in my opinion, and it leads you to think that what you're consuming are quote-unquote real potatoes, rather than a trademark symbol of real potatoes. I mean, perhaps some of what you're consuming is real potatoes. I'm just saying that like the lack of truth in advertising is prevalent in this case, just as it is some other places. People call 4-ACO-DMT quote-unquote liquid mushrooms because it can be consumed in liquid form as opposed to eating a mushroom. But despite the similar effects, 4-ACO-DMT is not derived directly from mushrooms, And it is a chemically distinct substance. And that's why, at the end of the day, it's an analog. So marketing them as liquid mushrooms, it allowed him to stand out with the unique product on the darknet instead of just selling regular mushrooms, right? And the Department of Justice claimed that an additional co-conspirator, a guy named Ronald Brust, also had a hand in the operation. Then once Matthew along with another co-conspirator, had made the liquid mixture and they would ship them out to Tennessee in bulk or the UK for further packaging into vials. The product they sold typically was that 9 mm, uh, milligram vial for $20 each. They sold this from many different darknet markets, including Silk Road 2.0 and Empire Market. Like, a few other darknet vendors for Science, employed shill accounts. So for those who don't know, a shill account, more or less, when you're talking about in terms of like darknet vendors, is when they create or have created a fake username and a password on multiple sites, effectively creating you know this fake identity of sorts um, in the darknet and establishing that name on these different sites, and they'll generate unique PGP keys for this, and to make it just even more legitimate. They would, in effect, send themselves money in exchange for drugs, so they'll hop onto these darknet markets, and they will buy their own drugs from themselves. In reality, of course, they're not, like, actually shipping the drugs to themselves, but what this does do is it counts as a sale. And because of that sale, the shill account can now write a review for that Darknet vendor, which the shell account is the Darknet vendor. Like, this was something that I just, I didn't, I didn't have the time for this kind of crap when I was a Darknet vendor, and, and like, I wasn't going to outsource it, because it's just it, not a good thing to get out that you're having fake reviews done. But in turn, the Darknet vendor has more reviews, and they look more reputable. This does have a cost to the Darknet vendor, though. Most of the time, a small percentage of anywhere between like 1% and 5% of the sale price when a drug is sold on a darknet market goes to that darknet market, and this is their profit margin for facilitating that sale to begin with. So even when a vendor buys a product from himself, he will still have to pay this tributer percentage to the darknet market, and it'll be something that is automatically taken out of the sale cost. The percentage paid doesn't really amount to much. I mean, especially, like, we're talking about $20 vials here. So, when doing this, though, now you have, like, legitimate sales on a marketplace, and in turn, you would make reviews on a site like Dread or another darknet market forum, And this would be like a de facto form of promotion that is verifiable. You could identify yourself as an individual on the darknet because you have an individual PGP key, you have separate sales. So it looks like you're a legitimate real buyer. In addition to that, you could also, if you want, you know, slam your competition. Unfortunately, like this deceptive practice is practiced by a few darknet vendors so trip science was able to operate for almost a decade as i said earlier he's one of the longest running darknet vendors that's currently known that's been busted a ton of darknet vendors create new identities periodically and you know traffic lots of you know different drugs so there are definitely darknet vendors that are out there that are far you know superior to him in operational security skills um, and far superior to myself. That said, I do respect James as a like a fellow hustler and a darknet vendor. I mean, the guy ran it for almost 10 years. Like, I personally don't think I would have wanted to deal with the stress that comes along with this stuff for that long. Going through some of the core documentation and reviewing some of the information about him to make this podcast episode, I was definitely disappointed though, um, in the information that I found regarding, like, some of his decisions and dedication to operational security. And I'll give you some specific examples of what I mean by this, because I think it's necessary, given how long James was able to operate his DTO. During the investigation, the feds looked at James' Google Drive, and it should be evident that as a darknet vendor, nothing you do on the darknet should be anywhere near the clear net in any shape or form whatsoever. Like, as a matter of fact, there should be a barrier that should be erected that's like impossible to cross. I say that because at the end of the day, as a darknet vendor, you should be using something like Tails at the very least. And for those of you who are first time listeners, Tails is basically an operating system that runs Tor by default and deletes all the information that's put on it when it's restarted or when the computer is turned off. This is known as a live OS or a live operating system. In other words, it has amnesia. So you do whatever you want on it, and when you restart it, everything is gone. There's a good reason why this operating system is set up precisely like this. Like No doubt, James, as a 25-year Army veteran, had heard the term operational security and personal security and most likely had known at least a little bit about how vital information security is. And this is precisely why it was so surprising and disappointing to me to find out that during the investigation, when the feds looked at his Google Drive, they were able to... Find a bunch of different spreadsheets with various information on them for both the Trip with Science DTO and for another Darknet vendor account that James had helped to run called Perfect Shrooms. Yeah. Like the Google Drive thing really, really disappointed me. Uh horrible, horrible OPSEC. Uh for example, one tab in one of his Google Drive spreadsheets was titled. Open quote, 2015 received, close quote. It showed 704 different transactions, which ended up totaling to be over 1,544 bitcoins. On a different spreadsheet, Bitcoin income for each year was recorded. This showed that he had earned about 2,300 bitcoins from 2014 to 2020. At the same time, he was also making $4,000 a month working for the United States Army as a sergeant first class, according to the DOJ. Their search warrant application, anyways. James also had outsourced a ton of the work for his Darknet vendor account to third parties, which really surprised me, too, because, again, it's a massive risk in terms of OPSEC. So, for example, James would pay nearly six grand in crypto every two weeks to a reshipper. This guy was supposed to package up the liquid from a big state into these small vials. And unfortunately, the opsec screw ups don't stop there. In addition to you know James running the DTO with his brother, he also ran a few other businesses. Most of them, like he sold shirts with. LED lights in them, and some of the company's names for the shirts were, were things like Good to Glow and Illuminated Contour, which is, is kind of funny. Um, the Department of Justice, however, noted that James, quote, was not generating enough, if any, income from these businesses to support his lifestyle, which included travel on private jets, world travel, producing purchasing of high-end automobiles and ownership of multiple properties, unquote. I mean, one of these properties was worth like $1.5 million, which, um, you know, he had bought in March. In addition to, uh, to that, he also owned like two Teslas and purchased two others for friends in recent years. In addition to that, according to the DOJ, He also owned two jet skis and like as if that wasn't bad enough the the real kicker going through all this stuff was like the fact that he had a basically a video confession on his google drive discussing how he bought land in colorado using bitcoin so this begs the question how is james caught really big mystery you know given the information that we just covered but What was the final nail in the coffin, I guess? You know, in a word, Coinbase. For the record, let's just say for more than five years, I've been telling people to stay away from Coinbase. I've criticized them and all centralized trash exchanges and wallets for a long time. For those that don't know, Coinbase is a digital currency exchange and wallet platform. And, you know, they heart the feds like stay away from coinbase you know give your business to someone else you know uh basically they set it up so you can buy and sell bitcoin ethereum and uh, you know other coins It's founded in 2012 in san francisco and there are many reasons why i would say i hate them uh you know for one they're the downfall of a lot of different people who transact on the dark net unfortunately they're liable to report you to the feds if they see you sending money to a particular Bitcoin address that they consider shady. They also have high fees, limited coins, lousy user experience, and a complete and total lack of privacy and they've been hacked repeatedly in the past. that's not even getting into their like you know insider trading that they do or Disallowing withdrawals periodically when a currency goes down. Like I could go on and on. Uh, if you're going to use Bitcoin, learn to use cold wallets and proper hot wallets. Uh learn, you know, to use things like BISC and other non-KYC platforms, you know, preferably decentralized ones. You know, BISC BISQ, for example, you know, automatically runs Tor, you know, as soon as you start it up. Like it's Tor by default. So And KYC is trash, and, you know, you have a ton of alternatives that are out there, so, like, you know, stop supporting these garbage companies that'll trade you up to the feds at a moment notice, you know, like, it just makes no sense. Anyways, on October 22nd of 2020, the Department of Homeland Security had received information from a seized darknet market that contained over 30 Bitcoin transactions to a wallet that belonged to Triple Science. Specifically, though, it belonged to his brother, Matt, who, as we'll cover later on in this, is, you know, far from the brighter bulb. The fact that these transactions were done with the same wallet alone is terrible. Like, remember, we're not talking about, like, individual sales here. Like, that would be understandable. We're talking about cashing out Bitcoin from a market to another wallet. So... As I said, to James's credit, like this wallet belonged to his brother, Matt. And like Matt had sold over 300 Bitcoin and made almost a million dollars with this particular wallet. So, to give you an idea of how old this wallet was, he had also purchased one Bitcoin, which had been valued at $188.94 at the time. Yeah. Nobody is going to sell me on the idea that this dude, you know, could not have changed his Bitcoin wallet in that amount of time, Uh, especially because it's not going to cost you money to create a wallet. You know, Um, on top of this, when Coinbase was subpoenaed, the information the feds, you know, got also revealed that many times shipping items used to pack and ship, you know, these and fake mushrooms, you know, throughout the world were also ordered with the same account. Brilliant OPSEC there. A company called Shift Payments was used from the Coinbase account. Over six purchases were made from another company called Thomas Scientific. After investigators Googled this company, said incredibly in-depth, you know, um research here, they saw that it sells numerous laboratory, chemical instruments, and other lab equipment. There are many instances of specific operational security screw-ups in this case, and they're riddled throughout the documentation in this case. Another example was on December 14th in 2016, when they used their Coinbase account in conjunction with SWIFT payments again to purchase stickers from a place called Sticker Mule. Presumably, Sticker Mule was used to make the labels for some of their packaging and some of their products. It seems like the feds really didn't even investigate this. Like, there seemed to be so much evidence at this point, like, against the brothers, that, like, the feds just kind of stopped investigating certain angles regarding finding new evidence, like these stickers. Like, they just didn't mention them again, in the documentation that I saw. A ton of transactions like this came from the Barlow brothers' Coinbase accounts. Thanks to this ridiculously trash opsec, investigators followed Barlow and managed to intercept many of the packages sent from him. Some of these packages were sent from his other alias, Perfect Mushrooms. Using this information was how they got a search warrant for his... Google account. The Google account in question was jim.v.barlow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Super high-end obsec here. Totally disconnected from who he really was. Investigators found on the G-Drive for this account even more crazy and incriminating evidence on James. So, for example, when they went through it, they found, aside from, this, aside from the spreadsheets that we already talked about, <laughs> Um, they found images that showed containers and bags of mushrooms with the very famous signature scientist icon, uh, which is the the Trip with science icon and the script quote U forward slash with science. So for anyone who has seen his listings online, we all know very well the older scientists with the crazy white hair that's, you know, holding the test tube, that's his signature logo. Okay. And for those of you don't use it on Reddit, different sections are called subreddits. These are like mini forums. Okay. So typically different sections are like different subject matter. Um, and those sections are typically highlighted with an R. So for example, if you were to go to a subreddit about bunnies, it might be like reddit.com forward slash R forward slash bunnies. If you were to look up an individual user, however, the R would be replaced with a U. So for example, like my username on Reddit is Reserve Steel 9 the number nine. So if you already had the whole reddit.com, it would be like forward slash U forward slash Res- reservesteel9. So the URL, that's how it's structured. So on this picture, him having u forward slash triple science, it was his Darknet vendor logo with his Reddit username written underneath it as an emblem stored on his G drive and his Gmail account. Are you kidding me? With the certainty that James has accomplished far more than I in sales um, and length of time being a darknet vendor. Like, all of this was really a shock to me. Uh, Perhaps it's just like my naivete to think that some of these big guys um, or much more well-known darknet vendors would actually take OPSEC as seriously as I do. But it's just always so disappointing to actually analyze their security um, and finally, like, just these ridiculous OPSEC fails that I just, I feel like a 10th grader would do better. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It is disappointing to see like a darknet vendor who is operating for so long have such adequate operational security. Like, the accounting sheet that I mentioned earlier was just a one-off. Like, after the feds had done a complete search of the drive, they recovered Tabs of, like, spreadsheets going back to 2014. Along with income reports, they also found expense reports. His yearly income in 2014, for example, was $211,000, basically. And by 2021, he had increased that, um, those yearly earnings, to 2000000 800,000 something. so he definitely you know, jumped up there in terms of what he was making. But as, as many of you like know who listen to this show, or watch me on my YouTube channel, I'm a stickler for paperwork. Um, any of you who have been to federal prison know precisely what I mean. One of the first things I do when looking at a different case or a darknet vendor who's been caught to see if I'll discuss them on this podcast is to go after and review in depth their paperwork. It's my go-to. An individual's paperwork is totally removed from that individual. Typically, a person's interpretation of events can be skewed. When looking at paperwork, I find that you have a more solid understanding of that person through other people's eyes. And like that person, nine times out of ten, is never going to tell you if they told on someone. So, for example, the United States Attorney, nine times out of ten, says that the individual that they're prosecuting is the worst defendant in history. Like, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially the prosecution will try to make the defendant look as evil as they possibly can to get the longest sentence that they possibly can to make a name for themselves. Like, that's how simple it is. Like, I'm going to put you in prison for 30 years because then I can say maybe at the end of the year that You know, I put people in prison for a total of 600 years or something. Um, That's what it is like. And the defense will do the total opposite. They'll try to make the individual as humanized and passive as possible in terms of being active in a conspiracy or any criminal activity. They'll often try to justify that person's actions if they can, Or if they can't do that, maybe cast doubt on them being involved or explain why the individual had committed specific actions at certain times and how those actions were actually for a good reason. That said, I would be remiss if I didn't include in this podcast James's lawyer, who kicks some serious ass when it comes to this, Um, reading through the sentencing memorandum his lawyer wrote, like, You could tell that the lawyer or paralegal who wrote it really put some effort forward to humanize him. And they just really didn't do the same for his brother when I read his brother's sentencing memorandum. When I look at his paperwork, when I look at paperwork in general, I want to know if an individual that I want to talk about is an informant or a rap. If they are, then it'll be one of the first things that I tell you um, as a listener. Uh, It will also be something that I point out periodically throughout the podcast to remind you of. I feel it's a great personality indicator and an indicator of how responsible an individual is. And when I say how responsible an individual is, I mean the level of cowardice they're willing to stoop to to get away from their own case and the repercussions for their own actions by using others as scapegoats and putting those people on the chopping block in their place. To me, it's like watching the Salem Witch Trials, right? You start off with a bunch of girls who get in trouble for dancing in the woods. And at the end of the day, you're handing out life sentences. So, like, by the end of that, they're burning women at the stake, okay? And, like, that's, that's your life sentence right there. And as far as James goes, like, I won't lie, I was, I was seriously envious of this guy's sentence um and at the same time i was really suspicious of it like but i didn't find anything in his paperwork that showed definitively um or even kind of pointed to the fact that he cooperated with authorities and that said it doesn't mean that he didn't it just means that like i didn't find anything indicating that he was a rat um if i don't have proof someone's cooperated in black and white where I can definitively prove it, I'm not going to levy that accusation. It's a serious accusation. And I would instead state that I have no clue because at the end of the day, that's the truth. So what's crazy about James's paperwork is that he has two charges that he was found guilty of. The first is possession with intent to distribute marijuana. And the second is money laundering. Both are felonies. And it's just weird because like, Remember what I said, like, he wasn't selling mushrooms. Notice how it's not possession of mushrooms, intent to distribute mushrooms. Um, in addition, he also had one count of intent to distribute marijuana, which was terminated. James also doesn't seem to have too much paperwork. Going off his motion that his lawyer submitted for his sentencing, he states that, you know, James, upon his retirement, presumably from the military, um... Transitioned back into civilian life and suffered crippling PTSD, his lawyer cites that these were the results of the things that he did and saw during his deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan in addition to other overseas deployments. His lawyer makes the case that James sought alternative treatments or non-traditional treatments for PTSD and this is where you know, he was first introduced to psychedelic mushrooms to begin with. Shortly after he had tried them, he started growing them and selling them. In the motion, his lawyer states that he knew that this was against federal law at the time regarding the possession and use and sale of uh, psilocybin. This doesn't really make sense given the fact that the use and sale of psilocybin wasn't even a charge in this case, but James's lawyer further states. That um, he ultimately couldn't turn a blind eye to the ongoing suffering of others, and he felt he could assist them by selling them mushrooms. And I'm sure that making, you know, 100 million for over a decade had nothing to do with it. But uh, in the motion, James's lawyer admits that James started the DTO, which offered mushrooms to soldiers for relief from PTSD. In addition, he cites the fact that mushrooms can also be an aid in opiate addiction. Um, one thing I'll definitely say uh, about James is like, at the end of the day, he stayed true to what he was doing. Like, we didn't see him selling heroin or meth or any of this other stuff. Um, and that's pretty awesome. Um, and he wasn't like a scammer. So, I mean, he was a legitimate uh, business guy. You know, legitimate, like, in terms of, Darknet culture, I would say. So this motion was broken down in a sentencing motion. Like the United States attorney submits a motion saying, for example, like why you should get the amount of time they think you should get, typically the max. Your lawyer in turn submits a sentencing memorandum too that says why they think you should get the minimum, essentially. Each side argues for different things. And I felt I should clarify this a little bit. That way, this where this point of view is coming from. In the motion, James's lawyer says that James fully acknowledges that what he did was wrong. Still, he also wants to draw the court's attention to how many people therapeutically use this product to improve their lives, including addicts, soldiers, and people suffering from crippling mental health problems. He states that this is not an excuse for his behavior, but rather an explanation. He also cites that it shows his motives and heart were behind the drug trafficking organization he had started. Like, I loved that. Like, I thought that was absolutely, like, like what guts to come out and put that in emotion. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, And mostly because I've... Absolutely plausible. And at the end of the day, there's there's absolutely a ton of legitimate uses for psilocybin. Now uh, Whether it's people who have cluster headaches, microdose, and those cluster headaches disappear when the regular doctors and pharmaceutical companies can't do anything but give you addictive opiates to deal with the pain. Uh, you can totally alleviate it with microdosing. Or the people who are on opiates who want to limit the effects of withdrawal will use mushrooms and microdosing um to get off of opiates whereas like if you're a heroin addict and you go to a doctor um they're gonna give you methadone and you're gonna be doing that for the rest of your life so it's like it's just a horrible cycle and like if you can take some shrooms and alleviate that i'm I'm absolutely for that so one fact i found interesting in going through this motion was that he had said that he had donated to various charities and disaster relief efforts with the proceeds he had made from his darknet vendor business. And this is very true. Vice News even did an article on him titled, A oh, quote, Dark Web Dealer Allegedly Donates Drug Profits to Charity. And that article, if you want to look at updates back to October 7th, 2015, Stories like this, I think, really illuminate that darknet, like the darknet vendors that are out there, um, are not all equal to those hardcore, dangerous, and violent individuals that we have in drug trafficking, like the many cartels that exist, for example. We have a darknet vendor who, regardless of what he did or how long he did it, backed up the fact that he did it for what many could perceive to be honorable reasons. I would be one of those people. And this is one of the few motions where I've seen a lawyer point out the health benefits of psychedelic mushrooms. And I feel that, you know, this is a fact. There are a ton of therapeutic uses for psychedelic mushrooms that benefit people in a positive way. And unfortunately, the drug market has a lot of financial incentives to stay within the current, corrupt, big pharma kind of alternatives. If I were to believe that the government is truthful or honest, I would cite that the FDA has also classified the, the chemical that makes people hallucinate philocybin in mushrooms as a breakthrough therapy. Like, this is essentially designed to speed up the process of FDA approval for philocybin. And the funny thing is the drug was around long before the United States existed. Like, I love how our government tries to act like now it's some fantastic and revolutionary breakthrough that they didn't know about until just now. It's asinine. It's it's just so ridiculous. Uh, Anyways, if nothing else, like you have to respect the fact that the man ran a DTO for almost a decade. Um, yeah, true, he probably should have spent his money more carefully, more wisely, and not bought as much flashy crap. And you know, he definitely should not have put stuff on his Google Drive or his Google account. Um, he definitely shouldn't have kept records. Um, man, he definitely shouldn't have had his brother who was far from qualified to run anything, run what he was running. But like at the end of the day, he killed it as how long he was a darknet vendor for. And how much money he made? Um, he rushed it in terms of money and for selling one drug, for selling like a hallucinogen. At that, it's not like he's selling heroin. Like he just that, really blew my mind. Um, super niche drug. That said, in the sentencing memorandum, his lawyer asked for the courts to give him one year in prison. Ultimately, James was given three years in prison. His brother Matthew was given a much lighter sentence. Um, Matthew was sentenced to time served. If you read both sentencing memorandums, the comparison between the the two is, like, comical. Uh, James and Matthew, it's like the equivalent, from what I read, it's like the equivalent of the difference between the identical twins that you see featured in the movie Eagle Eye. For any of you who haven't seen the movie, it's like, One brother is a highly achieving, knowledgeable military member who went to like Ivy League schools, while the other brother, and this is quite literally in the sentencing memorandum for Matthew, uh, barely graduated high school um, and actually dropped out of high school and got his GED later. Um, according to his sentencing memorandum and his cars, his most valuable asset, which is a 2014 Toyota, which I mean, was previously valued at seven thousand uh, dollars. There are also a few additional defendants in this case, like Jennifer Campbell. Jennifer lived with Matt, and according to the lawyers, the and the sentencing memorandum had an equal role in the conspiracy. That's what Matthews' lawyer argued, anyways. Um, Jennifer was given home confinement, which is, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) um, in this case, the person who got the worst was the head of the DTO, um, which was James. And this makes sense as this is typically how these things go. I mean, that, that said for the amount of money that James made and the amount of time that he did it for, like, it was absolutely mind blowing to me that he got three years. I think it's a good thing because it's a nonviolent drug crime i don't even I don't even think there should be a prison term for it I mean um like you didn't hurt anyone you shouldn't just you conducted a business like the government really wants to would just take taxes like at the end of the day and I'm sure James would say that three years is too much um and I would agree with him um so what are your thoughts on this case like do you think that the sentences were just for this do you think what do you think about the opsec? Of James and Matt, like in this case, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Stop by the YouTube channel, which is Doing Fed Time, and drop by in the comments and let me know. Until next time, stay safe, secure, and free.